The Axe of the Blood Bob. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Axe of the Blood Bob. Uh, actually, this is Axe of the Blood God. I'm filling in for Kat because she's on vacation. She's on vacation in Scotland, as you might have heard uh, from our last podcast, uh, From Us to You, which I also hosted. So I'm filling in for her today. And uh, who else is here with me? Nadia, how about you go first this time? Uh, yeah, I am here, and I am present, and I am willing and able. Yes, and uh, who else is here with me to talk about RPGs? That would be Mike Williams. Hello, folks. How are you doing today? Awesome. And today, uh, so it, it goes without saying that there's not a lot of things happening in the world of video games this week or really last week, too. And you can always tell that by if you go to your favorite video game websites, no one is really talking about video games. So <laughs> um, instead of uh, pulling an idea out of my ass, I've decided to instead look to the future and talk about the uh, RPGs that will be coming up between today and October. And this this idea actually came from somebody who sent it to me on Twitter when I was looking for ideas last week. And I for, totally forget your name. I get a lot of tweets, so I totally lost track of it. If you, if you tweet at me again and let me know it was you, I'll make sure you get credit on the next episode. But yes, that is where this idea came from. Uh, and I think it's a, a totally worthwhile idea. There's so much stuff coming out between now and October. And I'm leaving out November and December because I don't want to touch Pokemon without Cap being here. I feel, I feel like I'll get everything wrong <laughs> or, or just be too negative. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we're going to go up until October. And um, there are some games that will be left out. I'm not covering a lot of indie stuff just because there's so much going out. I'm, I'm kind of just going over the major releases for portable and console uh, devices. And uh, there are some edge cases I'm not including, like Deus Ex. I'm sorry. I know you're sort of an RPG, but mm, I don't know. I just, it just I don't know if it feels right discussing Deus Ex on this podcast. We're such old school RPG people that uh, I don't know. Get off our lawn. How do you guys feel about that? Deus Ex, should we include it? Uh, I don't think I'll be able to contribute anything really worthwhile on the topic, frankly. Okay, that's I, fine, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, like I, Deus Ex. I, it's, it's pretty RPG-ish, but we don't have true. to talk about it here. But we need to save precious content for uh, other podcasts, or else I'll be talking about Game of Thrones, and I know nothing about Game of Thrones or comic <laughs> books, so I can talk about some manga, but I think no one would want that, so... Let's get started with the first release I have on our little set of notes here, and that is Phantom Brave, which is coming out on the 25th of July, and this is actually a re-release of a 2004 Nippon Ichi strategy RPG that's been already re-released for the Wii and PSP, so this is the fourth re-release of Phantom Brave, Uh, finally it's coming to PC. I played this before. In fact, I, I actually ordered the special edition way back in the day, and I know that because uh, the songs from its bonus soundtrack enter my iTunes rotation semi-regularly, and I'm like, oh, where did that come from? And I remember I got a CD with the game. Um, as for uh, Nadia and Mike, have, you, have either of you played the original release of this, and can you talk about uh, Phantom Brave in any respect? Uh, I played the original Phantom Brave uh, way, way back in the day. Um but honestly, uh, while I liked some of the ideas, like the change from the grid to the general movement system, um, I didn't like it as much as Disgaea. So. I had the same impression. Uh, Nadia, did you ever play the original Phantom Brave or any of the many uh, re-releases it's had over the years, the uh, past decade? I have not, but uh, this will be a good opportunity for me to uh, finally do that. Cool. Well, I don't want to be too unfair to the game. I think it has some good qualities, but I also think that we were just very enchanted with uh, Nippon Ichi strategy RPGs after Disgaea, which was this incredible breath of fresh air. Uh, We hadn't been getting a lot of Japanese strategy RPGs up to that point, Mm -hmm. and that one was just a way over-the-top, super anime, super crazy, uh, going to uh, level 9999 sort of uh, (laughs) RPG experience. And this one is very much the same way. Uh, It works a little different than your average strategy RPG in that, as Mike said, uh, it's not a grid-based thing anymore. Um, But you also uh, sort of work with your party in a different way. Instead of of actually, you know, arranging your party before battle, you actually go into battle and summon your demons or whatever they are into objects in the world, and they can only stay for a temporary amount of time. So you're constantly cycling through, uh, you know, your roster of party members, and depending on what you summon them into, it can give them certain strengths, certain weaknesses, it can work better with what their actions are. Uh, Mike, do you remember any of the mechanics of Phantom Brave? Like any Nippon Ichi RPG, uh, there is just so much to do, and it might be a little overcomplicated, to be uh, be honest. Uh, If I remember correctly, depending on what what thing you summoned your your demons to, 
uh, they would be stronger or weaker. So it wasn't just that you had to have the right squad. You also had to make sure that there was the correct items to summon them to. Uh, right. which added a, an, uh, an extra layer of strategy uh, to it. And it was an interesting idea. Phantom Brave really was like a, a sort of an original uh, thought for uh, Nipponichi. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. they've had others since then, but um, this was like an original like take on what they struck gold on with Disgaea. Um, it just probably needed like a second game. like a I, I totally agree. And I'm not sure if um, there, there's bonus content in the Wii and the PSP version, but I'm not sure what this PC version entails, and I'm not sure if that bonus content was that worthwhile to begin with. But I couldn't find any um, resources that would tell me what this PC version entails. But yeah, I do agree with you, Mike. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, ideas sort of thrown at the wall, and not all of them work. But some of the sillier and zanier stuff from Disgaea made it into Phantom Brave, such as like you can pick up and throw party members, you can stack them, I believe. <laughs> Um, and in this case, like you don't actually equip your party members with weapons. Weapons are actually count as party member units, meaning that you can actually hit an enemy with another party member. I'm almost positive you can do that because I remember, like, I remember swinging around the little girl a lot as a weapon and thinking it was very funny. <laughs> the the adorable Moe uh, Moe girl, uh, because this game was coming out on the on the brink of Moe mania, which we have not not yet escaped its grasp. Um, I don't think it's the most exciting RPG, but it is a really nice look back at a time when we were very excited about Nipponichi uh, before they sort of... Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think about them. I, I, I had a lot of hope for them in the beginning, but I just don't think they can give their games enough time and enough money to make them uh, worthwhile anymore because they constantly have to be releasing things to stay afloat. And um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about Nipponichi as a developer of strategy RPGs? I feel like there was a lot of excitement at one point, uh, but now they are just sort of back to being a super, super niche company. Uh, I actually missed out on a lot of the really uh, the biggest hype uh, for their games, like their heyday, if you will. Um, I mean, they did Disgaea, of course, but uh, is there anything else noteworthy that... Uh... Um, there's like things like Makai Kingdom and um, like a lot of games in the lineage of Disgaea that mm-hmm. are borrowing from that same sort of uh, art style and same sort of kind of anything goes uh, in terms of mechanics ideas. So I think they've... I mean, there's at least four Disgaeas now, I'm pretty sure. Mike, I think you've reviewed the most recent Disgaea, haven't you? Was that you or was that Jeremy? And by uh, most no, recent, was, I think I mean... That was me. Uh, okay. It was Disgaea 5. There's actually... Oh my god, um, 5. Six Disgaeas, um, because one of them was Disgaea D2, which was essentially, hey, remember the original cast for Disgaea? Well, you can play as them again. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I did think I I think I did play that at my last E3 I actually attended and um I'm I'm not sure how that uh, turned out but they seem very much devoted to uh sticking to that this Gaia property just because it has the most um maybe not so much anymore but it has the most love I think uh, it does. just because it, it was it, a real eye opener back in 2003. Yeah, it's probably their biggest title um and it's it's at least worldwide. Um this guy is their biggest title, and they keep trying to make it a a sort of major hit. And I think it's one of those properties that has a ceiling, and I don't think it's going to ever be that kind of game that they want. Um, yeah, and it doesn't help that their other games are are even more niche or 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 Japanese, uh, like uh, Criminal Girls. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, I, I don't think we'll be talking about that game today. Uh, there's but, uh, Witch and a Hundred Night, which not a lot of people have played. Uta no Prince-sama uh, is like their otome game that's pretty much uh, Japan only. Um, they got, uh, was it, Makai Kingdom, Soul, it's like, what was it called? Soul something, Soul in the World Eaters. Oh, uh, you're right, yeah, a very complex title. Um, as Zetai Hero Project, like they have good ideas, but they're not like they're they're. I feel like they're almost destined to be a niche company, mm-hmm. and yeah. they just need to learn to love it like that and and work to that size. It's good to for as much as I I'm not really interested in their games. It's good to see them still around because I think uh, there was a time in the PS3 Xbox 360 era where it seemed as if they were on the brink of going away, and perhaps they were. 
But I feel like this is a much better proposition at 20 bucks on the PC than it was for 50 or 60, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So yeah. uh, it's a fun game to play around with. I, I sort of, uh, you know, bounced off of it after 20 hours and after... I realize like I there's too much to wrap my head around and uh it's a little too messy for the kind of games I do like for the kind of you know design I do like but I'm going to say uh give it a try it's it's uh that you can pre-order on Steam it's uh 20 instead of 25 if you pre-order as of this recording so I say uh, it's a fun little curiosity. Don't expect it to be like a triple-A, amazingly polished game, though, because uh, Nipponichi strategy RPGs have never been like that. And, but, and um, yeah, give it a yeah. shot, because uh, if everyone else like uh, Nihon Falcom uh, and Square Enix get to benefit from PC releases, I think Nipponichi is one of those companies that should. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, in, in general, it's really great to see um, Japanese developers dust off their old catalog and just shove it onto Steam. It, it gives me a reason to play through these old games again. It gives the, these games exposure to a new audience. It, in some cases, makes them look a little better. Mm-hmm. So I'm just for this in general. So um, I say give it a try for 20 bucks. Uh, if you've never played a Nipponichi RPG, uh, you might really like this because uh, they kind of go back to the same well of crazy ideas and crazy mechanics. And if this is your first time, you're likely to be pretty impressed by what they do. So I do want to move on to our next release, which is coming out a lot sooner than I thought. I would. I thought this was was a December release, and maybe it still is. But everyone is telling me it's December sixteenth. It's a uh, Dragon Quest Seven: Fragments of the Forgotten Past. Um, mm-hmm. And this game has a pretty tortured history. Nothing with Dragon Quest Seven <laughs> has ever gone right. Uh, yeah. So the 3DS version was originally released in February of 2013, for crying out loud, on the 3DS. So we're getting it three and a half years later, literally, uh, actually a little bit over three and a half years later. So there was a lot of waiting involved. And the reason behind that is, uh, one, Dragon Quest's audience in the United States is pretty uh, small. Number two, this game is just a colossal horror beast in terms of localization you you cannot imagine how big this game is um mike and nadia have you any experience with dragon quest 7 i'm just curious i almost played through the entirety of dragon warrior 7 that was as it was originally released under in um 2001 2001 an ugly ps1 came in 2001 <laughs> um so yeah what, what what's your experience no oh um, really okay uh, like Mike, I don't have uh, any whatsoever, and that's it's pretty much the only Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior game I know very little about at this point. Um, but I am very much intending to play the the 3DS version. Uh, I thought for sure it would wind up on mobile first, because for a while there it looked like all these uh, Dragon Quest games were going to be re-released for mobile, but uh, apparently not. I'm really happy it got a proper 3DS release, uh, if only be for my own selfish reasons, because I can't play a game like that on mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 3DS release looks really good. It definitely looks better than um, the PlayStation release, which is kind of a bad-looking game. Uh, but I just wanted to ask you guys, was there a reason you stayed away from it? Was it just not on your radar in the, the, the heady days of the PS2 and the Xbox One? Uh, sorry, the Xbox original? Uh, I played, The only one I've played was Dragon Quest VIII. Um, which was pretty big on the PS2, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think before that, uh, one, I was a Final Fantasy fan, and as I've brought up uh, elsewhere, uh, I'm not a big fan of RPGs where you can't see your characters. Yeah. It's a really uh, weird preference, uh, but I, I like the Shining in the Darkness, uh, Wizardry, uh, all those games, I'm I'm not like a huge fan of. Here's you in first person, and there's the monsters straight on. So you're not into so, Earthbound then? Not, not entirely. No. <laughs> so it does make sense why you would get into um, Dragon Quest Eight because you can see your characters in battle. I'm not sure if if the uh, you if the um, 3DS version changes that. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure those those are still first person battles. Um, so yeah, I did want to talk a little bit more about this game. Uh, now I'm seeing an import preview Jeremy did for One Up like three years ago when I'm looking <laughs> this up, and I was like, oh yeah, I, I still literally worked at One Up. One Up was still alive when Dragon Quest uh, Seven came out for the 3DS in Japan. So this game uh, went through a lot of horrifying problems. I believe uh, this is just conjecture. I believe it was probably supposed to be released somewhere around 1997, 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was fraught with many development problems. I think the developer Heartbeat was just not used to developing such a large game on a new platform. So to make up for it, I believe they just added on as much content as possible because Japan was rabid about Dragon Quest. 
but they went from between 1995 and 2000 with zero Dragon Quest mainline entries. So to fulfill that hunger, that half decade of hunger, this game is gigantic. It is probably, uh, conservatively speaking, if you don't do any extra stuff, you're looking at 120 hours of just pure main campaign it is it is amazingly huge i I don't know were you guys aware of that kind of reputation the game had uh yeah i remember reading a lot of reviews of the game at the time and i can't remember why i didn't get dragon warrior 7 um i think it was probably just a money thing at the time uh because i did kind of go through a stint where i was dirt poor so um yeah i kind of had to make sacrifices and uh, that meant no dragon warrior no dragon quest but uh, i do remember reading the reviews and people being kind of baffled by the game yeah, it was a very, I mean, again, this game came out in 2001 in America, and yeah. came out in 2000 in Japan, and um, uh, I'm not going to say, okay, I already said it was ugly, it is kind of ugly, but <laughs> we were all uh, huffing the PS2 fumes at the time, I mean, the first year of the PS2 was not great, but we were we were swinging into high with things like Metal Gear Solid 2, um, Silent Hill 2, Eco, even things like Klonoa 2 uh, were pretty interesting, so... This was not a great time for a game that looked like Dragon Quest VII to come out, even mm-hmm. though there was like a big sticker on the box that said, best-selling game in Japan ever, which was true at some point, I believe. I think it was, or maybe still might be, the best-selling Dragon Quest, or at least the best-selling PlayStation 1 game, period. Yeah. Um, maybe even worldwide, I'm not sure about that. But it, it did set some records. And um, for as much as I'm not a huge fan of the skill and job system in this game, I, I, I feel like the main um, set of mechanics for just the game itself are pretty fun. Uh, so basically, not to spoil too much, but the game starts out, you are on a planet, uh, Dragon Quest world, with just one solitary island. And gradually, you realize that a great calamity befell the world, um, and so as you uncover more and more of these tablets, you bring them to a shrine, and by going to the shrine, you can go back, you can go back in time and correct the problems that caused that portion of the world to disappear. So as you play more and more of the game, you unlock more and more of the world. There's both a past and a present version of the towns you visit, which accounts for how you know just gargantuan this yeah. game is. And I found that it was a really interesting and novel setup for a game. Like, you're literally creating the world by fixing things that went wrong in the past. It's sort of like a time travel thing, but you're not jumping back and forth a lot like in Chrono Trigger. You're just sort of going to the past to, you know, fulfill whatever objectives you need to fulfill to make that, recreate that land in the future. And then you have an entire new chunk of land to explore back in the present. Um, Does this sound interesting to any of you? I I feel like this is one of the most interesting setups for an RPG. Oh, it definitely sounds interesting to me. Um, It it sounds like a project, and I know this is going to be a game I'm probably going to pick at, like, back and forth, uh, unless I'm assigned to review it. I don't know if I will be. But um, (laughs) God have uh, mercy on whoever's assigned, but... Uh, that is a great point, Nadia. Uh, I mean, uh, reviews aren't as high profile as they used to be, and they take up a lot of bandwidth for our website. And it's funny, I don't see major websites reviewing things like Hitman. I wonder who in their right mind is going to review this game, or at least, I don't know who could possibly finish this game for review. Yeah. Someone that has a sleep disorder, I, I think, is <laughs> going to be your best reviewer, yes. I need my 20-hour so, um, Yes, I, at least, maybe I can review it having gone into it with, you know, 120 hours of uh, experience with the original version, uh, 120 hours of maybe wasted time who knows but yes i'm looking forward to it if only to finish my uh correct my own mistakes of the past and actually go back and finish the game i never finished and probably should have after sinking so much time into it i still have that original save damn it wow but i think it's just time to cut my losses and uh, move on but um uh, looks like jeremy's reviewing it jeremy and oh oh both of them Yes, although it, I, it, i'm guessing jeremy's gonna have to drop it because he's got uh, shin megami tensei and Recore around the same time, so yeah, there's there's no way in hell he's going to be reviewing that game. Uh, <laughs> knowing Jeremy's schedule and knowing uh, how much time he spends running this website, a uh, 120 hour, P- hour RPG embargo is not great for yeah. uh, his lifestyle. But um, even if you're not super interested in Dragon Quest uh, Seven, but you are a Dragon Quest fan, I think it's very important to buy this game, mm-hmm. if only to show uh, you know Square Square Enix and Nintendo that no, we want more Dragon Quest games. Like even I bought uh, Dragon Quest Heroes. I don't care about Dynasty Warriors, but I like that game a lot. And even that was like, please buy this game to prove your loyalty, prove that you know, <laughs> absolutely, prove that this world America is ready for Dragon Quest because I really want Dragon Quest Eleven whenever that might be coming yes. out. And I feel like if you want to support this series then seven uh, is needs to be a purchase and it's only like 30 to 40 bucks i mean it, you're voting with your dollars for as much as that matters but I, I feel like we need to make dragon quest viable in the states 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've been trying for God knows how long since the original NES, but we got to keep on trying, goddammit. Yes, it's, it still hasn't happened. It's been like a 30-year campaign, grassroots campaign. <laughs> I'll, I'll die on this hill if I have to. <laughs> I mean, the, and, the um, next one oh. looks like it's going to be, like, you know, ticking the boxes for, for things that you would think, quote-unquote, Western gamers would want. Uh, it looks like it's supposed to be open world. Open world? Uh, well, I'm not really sure, but I, I do think you're right, Mike, in that uh, they are developing it for uh, you know consoles and for portables at the same time, mm-hmm. which I think is great for America, uh, who are maybe doing a lot less gaming on dedicated handhelds, which is true of Japan as well. Like uh, even in a major city like San Francisco, I can't get any more street passes. It's very sad. It's kind of sad. I still get a lot in Toronto. Oh wow, geez, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're just too cool in SF for the 3DS. We're all uh, playing with our new apps and our new startup programs and things like that. But yes, uh, so as of now, there is no release date for Dragon Quest Eight, which is probably for the best because, dear lord, like I need an entire year to set aside to play <laughs> Dragon Quest Seven again. And Dragon Quest Eight's also like a hundred hours. Yeah, it's not a short. You, RPG. you beat. You beat the game after, like, hour 80, and it's like, oh, here's 40 more hours. That's the actual end of the game, so have fun with that. So, yeah, these games are massive and gigantic. Uh, play at your own risk uh, of, you know, alienating your family members and possibly having your pets starve. But, uh, <laughs> You'll I have think fun, it's guaranteed. Really, yes, I, I think it's really important that if you want to support Dragon Quest in the States, you actually uh, purchase this game, maybe even pre-order it to let them know you care, because uh, it is frankly a miracle that we're getting this, and it is just a gargantuan, impossibly huge localization effort to mm-hmm. get this into English. So thank you so much, Square Enix or Nintendo. I forget who's actually pl- putting this out here, but somebody needs like a gold medal or something like that for uh, doing work on this game. So up next, uh, we have one game that almost slipped past me, and I totally forgot this game exists. It's uh, Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse, which is coming out on... September 20th, 2016, um, and this title is sort of a misnomer in that, okay, so Shin Megami Tensei 4 came out in 2013, I believe, like in March or something like that, maybe February, um, but even though this game has the same name, essentially, with, with a subtitle, it is not a remake or an enhanced edition, it is an entirely new game, and I think someone at, uh, at Atlas has a fear of success because it feels like they branded this game to confuse people intentionally. <laughs> I, I just assume like, oh, it's a remake of a game that I kind of bounced off of because it was too hard. But no, this is an entirely new game. Uh, have either of you looked into this? Is, is this game on your radar at all? Uh, not very much. Um, I am very much woefully behind in the Shin Megami slash Persona field, and uh, I will get caught up on that, but I'm probably not going to start with 4 Apocalypse. That is probably for the best. Uh, how, about you? how about you, Mike? <laughs> First person. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Mike... Mike needs to see things to, to <laughs> so he knows that they're actually happening. I, I need to I need I need to the tangibility of the husbands and waifus uh, <laughs> that are available Husbando. in persona that uh is not available in uh Shin Megami Tensei. You have to use your imagination, Mike, and imagine your own waifu. Man, if if I was gonna imagine stuff, I I'd draw and write my own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes. so uh, if you're not familiar with Shin Megami Tensei, you probably know it best from the Persona series, which is really just a streamlined, um, slightly easier approach. Uh, I, I feel like I have a lot of RPG experience, and I'm, I'm not like a scrub in any way, but uh, the Shin Megami Tensei may, uh, hardcore games are, have been way too difficult for me. I remember playing the original release, which I still need to sink more time into, and you could literally spend the first few hours of the game in, in, in the first two rooms Jeez. and still not be ready to take on the world that the game has to offer outside of that. Like Persona, I think, made this series so much better just by making it less of uh, a ball-crushing nightmare. Because um, <laughs> in Persona, you, you play like a little card game at the end of a battle to recruit a uh, demon. Mm-hmm. In uh, Shin Megami Tensei, you have to answer these questions. Uh, they ask you often which have completely arbitrary solutions uh, and if you answer incorrectly, they can damage you. They can take money away. They oh, can man. they can hurt you in some way. Like every part of this game is about just um, it's almost like survival horror in that um, everything is against you. It's a very hostile world. Uh, enemies are very hostile, and uh, you're going to be dying a lot in this game. Um, 
I, I think Jeremy uh, enjoys this kind of experience much more than I do. Maybe I, he's more was, of a masochist than yeah, me. Yeah, I was about to say that sounds definitely up Jeremy's alley with because uh, he loves Etrian Odyssey as well. Yeah, he's of um, he's of the gray uh, fox hurt me more style of uh, gameplay, which explains why he loves Koazu. I can say whatever I want about Jeremy; he'll never listen to this. <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, if you enjoy having your balls crushed. In a non-sexual way, then you might enjoy Shin Megami Tensei Four yeah, Apocalypse, which is weird um, because I, I enjoy the rest of the Shin. I like the Shin Megami Tensei aesthetic. Uh, I enjoy Devil Survivor a great deal. I love Persona. Um, it's just the core game. I'm just like, yeah, it just does nothing for me. Yeah, it's it's really for a, a particular type of person. But if you enjoyed um, the other Shin Megami Tensei games, even the older Persona games before they became a lot more streamlined and a lot more anime high schooly, you might enjoy this. And you you're gonna especially enjoy this game if you played the original SMT four and did enjoy it. But mm-hmm. you might not know this is a completely new game, dudes. Just call it SMT five. No one's yeah. gonna care. Like, exactly. Seriously, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. And this game did not sell well in Japan. So really, they might have had the same branding problems. Yeah, I believe. Um, like its launch was maybe like uh, a fifth of the numbers of the SM, original SMT4 launch. So they uh, they kind of this is kind of a dud in Japan, and maybe it might do a little bit better here. But this game is made for like I think Persona is is advancing beyond niche, but this probably never will. It doesn't have yeah. the same sort of like fun loving anime hooks that Persona has. But I'm glad it exists. It's not for me, but I'm still glad it exists. Yeah, I'm always glad when stuff that's not for me exists because I'm not the only one out there who likes video games. Yes, uh, I have more. Yes, I can see outside of myself. It's very important as a gamer. Um, We're going to take a brief break right now. We'll be back to talk about more upcoming RPGs. So we're back, and I wanted to talk about one of the bigger releases, uh, at least Square Hope is going to be a big release, and that is Final Fantasy XV, which is releasing on September 30th, uh, 2016. And um, if you haven't been paying attention, I, I feel like Square is repeating a lot of their same mistakes they did with thirteen. maybe not so drastically, but it's sort of a a cart before, before the chocobo, if you will, <laughs> as I stumble over my metaphor. Um Hopefully a little bit smarter than Fabula Nova Crystallis, but it is the same sort of thing as if um, we have not gauged uh, whether or not people want this, but we're going to make a lot of stuff ahead of time. Uh, and I feel like they 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 placed a lot of bets on Lightning that really didn't pay off. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like there was the love for that character that, um, frankly, the creator maybe was a little too attached to her in a way that he might need to talk to his therapist about. But um, <laughs> how, do, how do you guys feel about the uh, sort of... Uh, the Final Fantasy 15 multimedia onslaught. I mean, uh, I don't know. You probably saw that big, um, that big ceremony uh, recently in LA, and they had like Sakaguchi come on to say, "I heartily endorse this event or product." Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. they really want people to believe like this is no Final Fantasy is good again. But again, they are repeating a lot of the same mistakes. Uh, uh, Mike, what do you think? What do you think about this? I, I think what ended up happening, and I think this is, can all be laid at the feet of a single game. That game being Final Fantasy VII. Um, mm-hmm is that they did Final Fantasy VII. It was wildly amazing, uh, sold super well for them, and then they had to like sort of scramble to follow up with more stuff. And every time they would release something like Advent Children or something, people would be like, yes, this is mm-hmm. the best, and keep buying it. And so I, I think that sort of changed how Square views Final Fantasy. Um, but as you, you point out the, the, the issue there is, uh, Final Fantasy seven came out, it was popular and then they could, yeah. And then up. they built up around it. Um, whereas, yeah, there was no, uh, it didn't launch alongside of an anime and a movie and a clothing line and like branded like Coca-Cola bottles. It, it was like a thing first that people had to, uh, encounter and engage with and, and enjoy on their own terms. No flaws yeah, in the machine either. Yeah, it'd be like if, if um, like, Overwatch has little, like, animated things and little animated comics and stuff, mm-hmm. but it'd be like if Overwatch had, when it launched, was like, 
here's the shirt, here's the Overwatch movie, here's the Overwatch TV series, here's the Overwatch Beats by Dre. Um, (laughs) And, like, that stuff is coming now. Like, there's more merchandise coming. You know, they got the little Funko Pop figures or whatever. But, But at least they had, you know, the beta to be like, oh, this is actually going to be popular. Mm. So uh, and and I think, I mean I, I I think Square has enough money and promotional uh, strength to sort of say at least make Final Fantasy fifteen a middling success, even if it's not good. Mm-hmm. So they really just have to hope that Tabata was able to massage it into a good game. Yeah, it's funny that. Um, oh, Nadia, did you have any thoughts on the uh, the sort of pre hype phenomenon that Square is doing Final Fantasy fifteen? Yeah, I'm a big believer in letting uh, properties grow organically, and I think that's actually one of the biggest faults of Mighty Number no. Nine is that they really put the cart before the horse there and tried to make it a, a multimedia thing before it was a good game. Um, I will say though, unlike Final Fantasy thirteen, I am quite interested in fifteen. Um, I think the world is very interesting from my point of view, and I've been watching the uh, Brotherhood anime, which is, oh right, is as cliche as hell, but it's kind of cute and kind of fun. Um, yeah, but I definitely like. I usually, I'm usually not a huge fan of like blending modern world uh, and medieval. Uh, uh, sensibilities, but something about Final Fantasy XV's world is just very intriguing to me. So while I am think, while I do think they are kind of jumping ahead with the the merchandising and whatnot, uh, it it might pay off in in this uh, in this instance. Who knows? But uh, I'm definitely more interested in where it's going. It's really funny that Final Fantasy XIII, the entire project, was such a misfire that XV is literally the last remnants of that project just being cleaned up. Yeah, basically. Um, in case our listeners don't know, this game was originally Final Fantasy versus 13, meant to be an action-y RPG take on Final Fantasy. Uh, there was a trailer a few years ago in which the logo for versus 13 morphed into 15. I think that was like E3 of 2014, probably some, somewhere around that time. Yeah, that was, that was cool. But the most important thing about this is uh, this game was uh, spearheaded by the Kingdom Hearts director, our, our friend and pal, Tetsuya Nomura. <laughs> Of course, I don't have to trot out the horror old jokes about zippers and buttons and uh, uh, asymmetrical lederhosen, you know, as he's famous <laughs> for. But I feel that um, I would really like to see this guy prove himself again because uh, he was kicked off this project. I think kicked off might be a little harsh, but he was removed from the project. And I think what's really telling that he was unable to move a single console game throughout the entire last generation for as long as it lasted there was not one Tetsuya Nomura directed game on a PlayStation 3 an Xbox 360 a PC release he was just on those portable Kingdom Hearts games in his own little Kingdom Hearts world yeah. and uh yeah. and 3 was ostensibly uh or in t- was supposed to be on the PS3 Kingdom Hearts 3 of course uh and I feel like I don't know if we can trust this dude. I don't know. I mean, thanks to the uh, the whole tenure system of Japanese business, he's going to be there forever. But I, I, I'm glad that it's out of his hands now. Uh, what, do, what, do, what do you guys think about Nomura? I, I feel like he's an artist that was thrust into a role he was never ready for, and I wanted to see him back doing art again for as much as I don't like his art. I, yes. I, I, I pretty much feel the same way. I am, even though I'm not a huge fan of Nomura's art, I'm a fan of him. Uh, something about him just... It just makes me go like, oh, you go, man. You know, like, uh, I will say he was fantastic. His his designs for uh, The World Ends With You, he was just in his element there. And that yes, was, like that, that that was such a unique, like... that was such a unique looking, unique playing RPG. So he does have it in him if he's in the right environment. I agree his style does work in some places. Um, a lot of it was just, uh, in, case, in the case of like Final Fantasy X, I, that game turned me off because I felt like all the costumes were trying way too hard. They yeah. were way too like high concept and complicated and just like kind of silly uh, in, in a, not a fun way. Uh, Mike, what do you think about Nomura and his like sort of impact on the Final so, Fantasy so, universe? So I, I, I like Nomura. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a very creative dude. Uh, but I am very much, I, I feel sometimes that we, we, we place a little bit too, uh, too much focus on creative drive and art in capital letters and big quotation marks. <laughs> um, and we sort of forget the, like, I'm a big fan of smart directors and producers, like people who are there to, to say to a person, nah, I yeah. don't think you should do that. 
Absolutely. Because all of my favorite artists, I think, tend to go off the rails when they can just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need, like, I, I think everyone, no matter how awesome and creative you are, you need an extra person that that is willing to tell you, no, nah, that's kind of stupid. Absolutely, 100%. Or, 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 no, that's a great idea in Nomura's case, but why don't we get the game's scope down first and get something playable <laughs> uh, yeah. before yeah. you start like expanding on how big and amazing and wonderful this is going to be? Absolutely. It's, it's interesting you brought that up, Mike, because I feel like his problem might be he's reached a position where no one can say no to him, like, like sort of like, like a, a George Lucas-style figure. That's actually what and, I call it. Yes, that is my oh, really? for George Lucas. Okay. George Lucasing, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I feel like the misdirection of a lot of things were because uh, you could not really question his ideas or his direction. But apparently, Square decided enough was enough, and they put Hajime Tabata on the game. I'm not quite sure how to feel about him. I feel his credentials are better, but he's he's been a, he's worked on a few games. I just thought were okay. Like he directed Crisis Core. I know Jeremy likes it a lot. I felt it was a little too repetitive. I kind of got burned out on it. I like Crisis after Core. like. Yeah, I mean, I like its central ideas. It wasn't offensive. I just wanted there to be more of it. But I think it was really designed for that PSP short burst uh, play style. I, I don't think and, Tabata is a is a, a very exciting creator, and I like him. Uh, but he's a guy that can ship a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was really just on a lot of PSP titles in terms of things he directed. Like, I personally, I think the third birthday is sort of a, a vile, vile game. Uh, <laughs> well, just his name uh, alone. But I, I, I hear the the actual mechanics are good. If you don't mind getting your clothes shot off of you, uh, if that's your idea of a good time, go for it. But uh, I feel you're right, Mike. He does not have a signature style, but he can get things done, and that's what needs to be done with Final Fantasy 15. And um, I was just playing a little bit of it this morning. I have the I have the demo that came with uh, Type Zero HD, and I'm still not sold on the battle system. I feel like it wants to be like sort of uh, a, a lower uh, intensity Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, but it does sort of just feel like button mashing like it did in Kingdom Hearts, and I'm hoping it's a little more complicated than that. Like, for a good action-based battle system, it's like, I need a reason for me to be here, mm-hmm. but it just felt like it was all kind of automated. It had that same sort of QTE uh, special move stuff that was going on in Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, I'm not super op- optimistic, and I heard that boss fight demo at E3 was not that great, where you fight the giant boss. It was sort of a mess. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, did did I, you play that, Mike? I, I've, I played that, and I played the game before for, for quite a long time, and uh, most of that was spent trying to really come to grips with the battle system, which isn't bad, but I think mentally when I, I sit down to play uh, that style of game... I want something more tighter, a little bit more uh, platinum, for lack of a better word. No, that's. I mean, it's a good idea because I feel like uh, if you're going to make a uh, an action-based battle system, you need to just like helicopter in platinum for a day as consultants mm-hmm. and be like, nope, do this, do this, do this, because there are counterattacks in this game, like there are in every platinum game, but. Uh, the enemies don't have tells that they need to have visually for you to pick up on them. I feel like that's right. a very essential element of a game that involves a counter system. Like you need to tell the player with more than just like a subtle animation, like when to block, when to hit the button. And um, I wasn't really getting that with the time I spent with 15. Yeah. And, and, and I'm seeing videos and other stuff of players doing amazing things, but I don't know uh, mentally if that's because the game is that great or because they particularly have so much emotionally invested that they're willing to keep hacking at it mm-hmm. until something amazing something happens. gives <laughs> so right. I, I and that I, I assume people are probably going to have issues with that statement but that's like i'm, I'm like I'm, i i can't really tell having spent a lot of time with it uh, what I do like about 15 is, as Nadia brought up the world, I, I, I really buy the sort of uh, brotherhood idea mm-hmm. and the the friendship between those characters. And I like the sort of road trip feel and I like the mix of Final Fantasy fantasy and modern real world stuff. I'm just not 100% sure on the battle system but in a wash i've definitely had other games where i've just been uh, the witcher is kind of that way where the combat is okay to above average but it's not amazing but i'm playing it more for the narrative than the 
the combat itself. Yeah, I could get away with that easy. Yeah, I, I wish this game the best. I'm glad uh, it's not the sort of uh, story tube approach that 13 had that really upset me. And not just that, but how, how reluctant they were to actually let you play the game. And I feel like the feedback on 13 really made the rest of the series much better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're going in the right direction by making this an open world game. And hopefully I will like the battle system more. It might not be fair to judge that uh, just based on the, the small amount I played. So we're going to move on to uh, one of the next releases. We have Yokai Watch 2, Bony Spirits, and Yokai Watch 2, Fleshy Souls. <laughs> I love that. Which, uh, by its second game, Yokai Watch fully embraced its Pokemon uh, ripoffness. Um, even though it's a, it's a very different game, but it's like now, okay, now I need to buy both of them to get all the monsters, of course. Of course. Um, and uh, this originally released two years ago in Japan, so we are we're quite a ways behind. And in fact, the third game in the series just came out, I think, last week in Japan. So we are two games behind already, and God knows if we'll get the rest. Um, have either of you played the first Yokai Watch? I did review it for the site, but I'm not sure if you played like a demo or played the full game or anything like that. Uh, I played uh, I played the first one. Uh, I didn't finish it, but I did enjoy my time with it. It is it is very cute. It's it's not really a Pokemon ripoff. It. It's, it reminded me a little bit more of Mega Man Battle Network, to be honest with you. Oh, I can see that, yeah. Just the, it's the setting and the themes and all that. So I, I tried... Uh, did you play this at all, Mike? Uh, I have not uh, played Yokai Watch. I, I kind of want to, but it's just one of those things where I never had time yet. Right. Uh, so I tried to look up what improvements were made to the game, and it doesn't seem like there are a lot of them. Uh, one of the major ones I think that's important, though, is... Um, Apparently, it's easier to befriend Yokai, and uh, level five made it way too hard in the first game. Yeah, it Um, it seemed very random in the first game. You not only have to uh, figure out which of the like fifteen food items Yokai wants, you have to continually feed it and hope you've won it over enough by the end of the battle that it will join you. And it's never a sure thing. Exactly. So, like that, immediately dismissed any notion of me ever catching them all because I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work this hard (laughs) for a collection of fake monsters. Um, and uh. Uh, some criticism I've heard from Japanese players is that a lot of the extra yokai or the yokai they've added are just sort of palette swaps. Yeah. Just different, differently colored yokai, which is what they do in the first game, at least, just to give you more enemies. And that's one thing that Pokemon really avoids, mm-hmm. for the most part, is um, making every monster distinct. I mean, there's Pikachu, Pichu, Raichu, but they're all different, they're all different. Uh, enemies. They, they're not just the same thing, but a different color. Yeah. Um, and one thing I really hope that they fix, and I'm not sure if they did, and Nadia can attest to this as well, like the Yokai Watch, you do a lot of quests, but the quest system is garbage. It's it total garbage because the map is garbage. It'll be like, okay, go here. But then you have to literally open up your map. You have to page to the right page. And, it, and if the uh, objective is inside a house, it's not going to show you. Yeah. You have to literally go into the houses and be like, is this the house? Is this, the, is this one of the 15 identical houses that I went in to, to find yeah. this person the first time? It's really, really bad. And I, I hope to God that is changed in two. If you have played two, the Japanese version, maybe you can let me know. Because that is one of the reasons I just... Um, I, I crapped out towards the end. I did review enough of... I played enough of it for the review. But after a while, I was like, I'm not like... I'm not going to be like, um, I'm sorry, Sherlock Holmesing this game to find out where to find quests or where to find the place to turn in my quest. It shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, so. there's probably a reason why, the way I hear it, Yokai Watch really didn't take off in Japan until Yokai Watch 2. Oh, is that true? Yeah, I think it was Kat who told me that. Um, apparently, oh, okay, that makes sense. Apparently, the second uh, game is really what got everyone on board with the series. I'm hoping it is a lot better because uh, for as much as I dislike the sort of lawful good nature of Yokai Watch, it's all about like telling kids to do their homework and brush their teeth and believe in themselves and all that crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, in a way that Pokemon does sometimes, but this game felt like it was like moralizing every second. I do love how silly the monsters are. I do love how, uh, you know, how, how spooky the game can be at times. Um, and, I, and I like how things can be a little weirder than they are in Pokemon. Like you have a... Uh, you have, an, you have a yokai that is a uh, a drunk uh, businessman's face grafted onto a dog like it's some sort of Cronenbergian nightmare. Yeah, it, it, so, it, doesn't um, really pull, it doesn't really pull his punches with making things weird, whereas uh, maybe it has more room to do that because in, with Pokemon, people see a, an ice cream cone uh, Pokemon and they all they all flip. They're like, what is this? This yeah. is terrible. And it's like, it's, this is a keychain. What the hell? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, Yokai Watch is like, hey, you know what? We're not like a multi-million corporation in Japan. We can we can make a, a damn dog with a human face if we want to. So uh, go to hell. Yeah. 
Exactly. I, I like the freedom they have, and I hope this series thrives. Like I said, we're on the second game of three. There's, from what I hear, a really cool spinoff called Yokai Watch Busters, which is just a total Ghostbusters ripoff. And I actually want to play that more than Yokai Watch. Yeah, too. I, I read about that. It looks but, like a yeah. lot of fun. But I think we're going to be sort of in the in, in, Inazuma Eleven problem, in which we got one of like the middle games two years ago. We're probably not going to get any more. Yeah. And I, I feel like. Um, the 3DS is way too late in the game for uh, Nintendo to possibly catch up with the Japanese releases, but here's hoping that this series can uh, thrive in America because I think it has has some heart. It has it has a good enough, uh, different enough design from Pokemon to make it distinct. Well, there's a uh, there, there's one piece of good news about that. I was actually at a, um, a Kirby event uh, some weeks ago at the Ontario Science Center of all places because what's more scientific than Kirby's gut? And uh, there was some little kid there the saying... Science of Kirby. <laughs> science of Kirby. There's some little kid there saying how much he loved Yokai Watch. So, uh, yeah, who knows? It has its fans, apparently. Awesome. So, with that, we're going to take another break. We'll be back to talk about the one remaining release and maybe what we're going to be doing to prepare for uh, thousands of hours of RPGs in our future. <laughs> So we're going to move on to the final game of this week's podcast, which is uh, Dragon Quest Builders, which is enough of an RPG for us to cover. And of course, it's related to Dragon Quest. And this game is coming out on October 11th, 2016. And Jeremy's written a great deal about this game on the site. Mm-hmm. You can check out his articles. But it is, uh, in a nutshell, it's essentially Minecraft, uh, but with the structure, uh, theme, and characters of a Dragon Quest game. Which, And I have to say, what's not to like about this? It essentially takes the sort of messiness of uh, Minecraft and refines it with the more conservative nature of Dragon Quest. And I think that's a really good match. Um, what, what do you guys think about this game in general, as in, in terms of it sort of being a, uh, a, a little bit of a steal? You know, <laughs> a little bit, a little I'll bit of theft. i go first. Okay. Uh, I, I am Nadia. definitely looking forward to it. I know it's not like a really high-profile release, but it's, it's one of the ones I'm looking forward to most uh, because I have said it before, I like Minecraft. Um, but I'm not a big fan of how directionless it is because I'm at an age where it's like I'm kind of stupid and I'm like, am I wasting time by playing this aimless game? <laughs> Whereas Dragon Quest yes. Builders, it's like, okay, here's you have a goal. Save the world. That's all you really need. So um, Minecraft is not a good game for people that are aware of their own mortality. Exactly. You're, you're just If you're 10 years old and you're like, oh boy, I have the whole summer in front of me. Uh, you don't have that when you're 35. So Yeah. Whenever people are cranky about Minecraft, uh, I personally don't play it. I own it. I've tinkered with it. But it's like, like, don't be mad at Minecraft. You would have killed to have basically infinite Legos in your life oh, as absolutely. a kid. Oh, absolutely. Like, and you don't step you on them be, in the if, middle of the night. Yes, exactly. If anything, you should be jealous of children, not angry at them for playing Minecraft. Uh, Mike, what do you think about uh, Dragon Quest Builders? So so I am very much in the... Uh, I, I play Minecraft... Uh, not like on a super regular basis, but I really enjoy it. Uh, I played uh, EverQuest Landmark, well, which eventually just became Landmark. Uh, I play Starbound, I play Terraria, I play RimWorld. So uh, I'm pretty much a huge fan of builder games, I guess you could call them. Mm-hmm. Um, Minecraft likes what you know, whatever the genre is supposed to be called. Um, so I'm I'm pretty excited i'm very much one of those people uh who feels that sometimes these uh sort of blatant rips are good because they can bring people in especially in 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 the case of dragon quest builders in both directions uh you can get minecraft players who might actually end up becoming dragon quest fans at a certain point or dragon quest fans that make their way over to minecraft i think you're right mike i think i mean of course it's tapping into minecraft for the sake of its pure appeal but it's also um it's getting younger people in the dragon quest and older people into a minecrafty experience which i think is great and i from what i've read it is a very successful project uh people that have been playing the import version for a year have loved it uh, there are tons of quests to do, tons of things to build, tons of people to meet, uh, lots of monsters to fight. The, the fighting is sort of like a very much an overhead Zelda sort of thing. It's not traditional turn-based Dragon Quest, but mm-hmm. 
like just looking at this game, even though it's very blocky, of course, it's beautiful. It is. Um, the the music is just as great. All these symphonic remixes of Dragon Quest tracks, like it is pure fan service for Dragon Quest fans. But I feel like uh, even if you don't know Dragon Quest, the the atmosphere is so charming that it's hard to not immediately fall in love with all these cute little characters and all the cute monsters and um, you know just the general world world of Akira Toriyama. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a few more things I wanted to mention uh, that I found out about this game. Um, there is a sort of a free build mode with its own goals, uh, and this mode re- removes monsters from the game, which, uh, like the creepers in uh, Minecraft, are you know going to be trying to destroy your things, although I don't think all of them explode like the creepers do. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I do think this game is, is trying to fill the gap bet- before Dragon Quest XI. Uh, you know, Square, or NX rather, always takes their time with Dragon Quest, I believe, Dragon Quest uh, 10 was like a 2011 release, so they've been kind of going five years between every Dragon Quest uh, yeah. since since God since seven. So I feel like everyone really matters to them, and I really want to see what that game's about. Uh, but we don't know anything about it. We don't know a Japanese release date, so just assume it's going to be like 2019 for yeah, us on um, whatever future thing we'll be playing. Um, uh, have either of you like res- pre-ordered this game or reserved it or anything? I I might do that again with Dragon Quest Seven. Like with Dragon Quest Seven, I feel like I need to like put my money up front and be like, I like Dragon Quest. Give everybody more Dragon Quest, please, please, please. Uh, uh, are you interested in? Uh, okay. I, I haven't Sorry. yet, but uh, that's actually not a bad idea because actually for my birthday last year, my husband pre-ordered uh, Dragon Quest Heroes, and we got oh, like nice. a, we got like a cute little treasure chest box and a cute little slime, and uh, we also got the DLC for uh, Dragon Quest Three's uh, Heroes. So uh, that was a really fun birthday gift. And uh, yeah, I really think you're right in that pre-ordering Dragon Quest games is probably the number one way to tell whoever's in charge that the West cares about Dragon Quest. And even if it's only a a small audience, it's it's a dedicated audience. Right. And um, again, from what I've heard about this game, it's been out in Japan for about a year. Um, I've heard tons of important impressions. I've read tons of important impressions. Everybody um, likes this game a lot. It's not just a shameless ripoff. It's a very thoughtful borrowing i'll call it Mm -hmm. of minecraft elements and if you watch the game in action it is looks just like minecraft of course you're playing from a third person perspective but when you chop um you know the ground the little squares pop up and your character grabs them and you chop it you chop at trees a little piece of wood pop off it's it's super minecrafty but again it understands what works in minecraft and sort of applying the conservative dragon quest um very neat and tidy game design to that sort of messy reactive world which yeah. i think is a great combination and it's also a great way to get japan into minecraft because uh, i don't think it's quite as huge over there as it is here yeah, I'm not so I like I I'm not so sure about what the status of, of Minecraft in Japan is. I just know that um whenever I I see a kid in America um playing with an iPad in public, they're either watching a PewDiePie video or they're playing Minecraft or sometimes both. Sometimes they're multitasking. Yeah. So at least in America I know it's huge, but if if it can get Japan into Minecraft, that'd be great cuz I think that Minecraft has had a very good effect on game design in general just in terms of showing that Kids are smart. Mm-hmm. You can drop a kid into a world with no rules, and they will figure things out. You don't need to gently narrate them through, like, here's what the control stick does. Yeah, here's exactly. what the X button does. Yeah, I feel like Minecraft has really shown the world, like, kids are smarter than you give them credit for. Let kids play and have fun. Minecraft and, has yeah. done uh, relatively well um, in console release. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the oh yeah the that makes Japanese because Japanese PCs uh, is yeah I mean that's just now really starting to grow even more, um, but um, on the I think the last Media Crate charts the Wii U edition was at like forty two thousand sold and the PlayStation Vita edition was like at eight hundred thousand yeah something oh, nice. absurd like that like the PlayStation <laughs> Vita edition. I think came out like early last year and it's still charting on media create. So uh, Minecraft works for kids in Japan. You just have to, I guess, release it on platforms. They actually play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, super, super savvy of, of NX to do this. Uh, I, I had my doubts about this game, but it feels like I can, I'm going to, I'm going to fall into it and just get addicted and probably have to take a sabbatical. Uh, along with to play all the other RPGs as well, I'm going to need a lot of time off. So, yeah. yes, uh, I might I might conspicuously break a bone or something <laughs> just just to sacrifice my my time to these RPGs. And speaking of that, I did want to talk to you guys about. Um, I mean, we are planning to play a lot of these RPGs. We're gonna some of us are going to be reviewing some of them. Um, we have sort of like a month left of time uh, before we're hit with all of these. Yeah. And um, just curious, like, are you are you guys trying to get stuff out of the way uh, before all these RPGs hit? Uh, personally, I'm I'm towards the end of Bravely Default, 
and I've had Bravely Second for months, and I want to play through those two games before I touch any of the full RPGs. I don't know if it's going to happen. I am visiting home soon for a week, and once I see the two things I want to see at home, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on a couch, uh, you know, under air conditioning playing RPGs. So maybe I'll maybe I'll go through these games. Um, Nadia, how about you? Are you planning to like wrap anything up before all these big RPGs hit in the fall? Uh, well, I definitely want to finish off I Am Satsuna. Um, which I talked about on uh, From Us to You the other day. Uh, I'm also playing, I'm trying to get cu- slowly caught up on Ease games. Um, right now I'm playing, um, uh, shoot, it's the, oh, Ease uh, Othan uh, Falgana, I think it's called, uh, which I think is the fan favorite, and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, it's really good, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm hoping to get those wrapped up, but uh, as you say, I should probably start to really hustle. Um, I'm actually getting to the point where I'm downloading more of these RPGs on Steam, because uh, my husband watches a lot of wrestling. We only have really, like, one good TV, so <laughs> so I, I can take all the time I want on my uh, PC as well as my 3DS. So, Mike, uh, is there anything that you want to wrap up before all these big RPGs hit? Um, in terms of other uh, RPGs, I'm sure there is. You're laughing, because I know you just bought a, a lot of DLC for RPGs, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I bought a lot of DLC. I still have to play um, all of the Shadowrun RPGs. Oh my gosh. And I'm also the, the the Jazz and I are the MMO guys. Oh so right. I'm preparing now for um World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft Legion, which comes oh, that's out right. on August thirtieth. Uh and then probably have to keep up with Guild Wars two because their living world season one starts soon. And FF fourteen keeps releasing content. How it's, dare they? It's an it's an endless grind. Like it's, it's one of those things. Like if I were I were playing just one of the games, I'd be like, yay! But for, <laughs> for me, it'd be like, no, no, just... stop, please. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned FF14, Mike, because I bought I bought Heaven's Word like over Christmas, and I, I'm still getting through the post game pre Heaven's Word content because I feel like they just kept pumping out content. For people waiting for Heaven's Word, and it's not the most fun content. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, when are we going to get to the Heaven's Word factory? <laughs> when we get to the yeah, Dragon it, factory. Yeah. And the, like every night, I chip away like a half an hour of boring quests. Like, go here, visit this guy, talk to him. Go there, visit that guy, talk to him. I'm like, I just want to buy my my mount. I just want to see new stuff. Please, please. <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. You have to finish, especially on 14. You have to finish that story, all, all of that DLC, like in the main story quest stuff before you can even start heaven's word yeah hopefully and, my uh my eight-month-old investment will pay off this this summer yeah and they kept releasing stuff which was good because they promised uh i mean world of warcraft has not had a content release since i think june of last year um because they've been working on legion mm-hmm. um whereas ff14 was like yeah no we're gonna give you something every every two months or so every month so uh their content schedule is much better for current players but uh yeah the requirements to actually finish it to move on is is kind of uh, difficult if you haven't been playing in a while mm-hmm. yeah as, as the underdog i feel like squares to try a lot harder in terms of the mmo space and um i, I think we just got a press release sent to us in which it says final fantasy 14 now has 8 million subscribers which is great yeah that is especially this this long and it's kind of getting long in the tooth in terms of mmo lifespans uh if, if non world of warcraft mmo lifespans i mean i mean usually mmos die in like a month yeah and then they're free to play forever but um it's good to hear it doing well but that's not the point of the, to this, today's podcast uh, in closing, I hope you enjoyed our little preview of all of these uh, upcoming games. There's too many goddamn RPGs coming out. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, dear God, it's it's kind of frightening, you guys. But um, that's it for us this week. If you want to find me on Twitter, I will be there forever as Bob Servo. And I also have the podcast Retronauts, the classic gaming podcast. It launches every Monday on usgamer.net or retronauts.com. And I also do the podcast Talking Simpsons. It's a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Every episode is a different episode of The Simpsons. We're doing them in order, of course. And right now we're at the end of Season 3. It's really fantastic. One of the most fun things I get to do. So please listen to Talking Simpsons at lasertimepodcast.com. So unfortunately, Nadia, uh, her call just got cut off and I can't reconnect. But uh, I I think she would have no problem with me telling you. You can find her at usgamer.net doing her normal stuff. And you can also find her on Twitter as Nadia Oxford, uh, strangely enough. What an odd name to choose. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, where can people find you? 
Uh, as always, everyone can find me uh, at Automatic Zen uh, and on usgamer.net every day. Awesome. And Kat will be back uh, next week. Hopefully, I did a good job. I tried my hardest, people, but you know, I'm not an experienced podcaster. You, of course, I am. I'm just kidding. But uh, yes, thank you so much for uh, joining us, and hopefully, we'll see you again next week. Later. <laughs>